have joy? I mean, do you have real joy? Real joy. Or do you feel like your joyometer, I think that's a Grinch term, isn't it? It's, it's found in, in that story somewhere. My joyometer sometimes can be like, and, and sometimes if, if our joyometer is like, I think God is trying to tell us you're dealing with the symptoms and not the real issue. Can I ask you, what gives you joy? What gives you real joy? Great joy, as we're going to learn tonight. Is it merely when life circumstances go your way, when things finally line up and work? When you have less pain or perhaps when you experience greater success and less failure? Oh, I like that one, right? What is the joy of Christmas to you? Hallmark loves to tackle that question. Loves to tackle that question. They get it wrong like almost all the time, but they love to try and tackle it. What is the joy of Christmas to you? Is it family? I mean, I love family. Is the joy of Christmas giving and receiving gifts? Is it loving one another? You know, peace in your home. Is it celebration with a meal together? Is it Christmas traditions like games and parties and food and lights and decorations, including, of course, the Christmas tree? What about brown paper packages tied up with strings? Are these a few of your favorite things? Sorry, I had to fit that in there somewhere. All of these things are, are actually a part of our Christmas family, Christmas celebration and traditions. But they do not. But, but to not have them does not mean or does not in the least detract from the meaning of Christmas for us. Nor from the main joy of Christmas. Again, I love all of those things. But what is the real joy of Christmas? See, now we're getting at the heart of the issue and not the symptom, not just a surface issue. These do not or should not determine how high our joyometer reads. So I want to talk about this great joy for all people. So turn with me to Luke chapter 2. And I want us to, to just dig into this. We're actually going to be spending most of our time looking at that holiday season greeting. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. But I want to start here before we go there. So before we read, let me open in prayer. Father, we give this time to you. I just ask, Father, that you would give us the mind of Christ, that you give us deep understanding of your word. Father, I ask that you would speak to our hearts this evening. You would challenge us. You would encourage us. What does it mean that Jesus is our Savior? What does it mean to have great joy? Because, Father, honestly, our, our joyometer goes up and down with circumstances. How do we avoid that? Father, speak truth into our lives, into our hearts tonight, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Are you there with me? Luke chapter 2, I'm going to start with verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. 
He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Obviously, um, the rest of the Christmas story goes on, and the shepherds go and visit and see this amazing child that's born to them. This is good news. This is great news, as a matter of fact, and it's great joy. You know that word, great joy? I grew up using the word mega. Like, man, he's mega rich. She's mega good, not me. Man, is he mega talented or mega smart. I mean, we use the word mega like all the... Am I just like the only one who did that? We use the word mega all the time. Here's where it comes from, the Greek word mega, and it's coupled with joy. Man, this is talking about mega joy. That Christmas, the, the birth of Jesus brings mega joy. This is great joy. I'm not going to use that term anymore. I see too many people think, oh my goodness, yeah, mega. Mega joy, uh, great joy, great joy, huge, large, vast joy. This is ours. And yet most people, and, and I'm even including Christians, struggle with joy. How do we walk in that joy? Now, I read to you a very familiar phrase here. It says, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord, a Savior. And so this begins to dial in where this great joy comes from. A Savior has been born to you. Do you remember the Christmas card greeting? I mean, how can you not remember? It's it's on greeting cards every Christmas season. For unto you is born this, excuse me, for a child has been born to you. A, A son has been born unto you. A child has been given to you and the government will be upon his shoulders. Do you remember that one? I want you to turn to that passage because Luke in the first chapter and now he here gives us hints of Isaiah 9-6. So turn with me to Isaiah 9-6. I want us to look at this child. I want to see why he has come. I know he's Savior, but let's unwrap that a little bit. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. I look at this word, Government. And I wanted to know what it meant. So I looked, I I went online and I looked at like a gajillion, like a mega number, uh, sorry, a great number of scripture passages and versions of the Bible rather. And I wanted to see how they translated this. Almost every single one of them used the word government. I looked up the Hebrew word and this Hebrew word is found only two times, two times in the Old Testament. You know where they are? In this verse, and the next verse. That's it. That's like, that's like a huge word study, huh? And so, I, okay, well, it's used here in the next verse. And that, well, what else? Can I learn anything else about this word government? Because a few versions stepped away from the traditional word or translation government. But almost all of them stick with the traditional because Hallmark has a monopoly. Well, I'm not going to say Hallmark. But greeting cards use this so much. And even before greeting cards, this was a well-known Christmas passage. And who would want to deviate from that traditional interpretation? So I get that. Most of them, like 
80, 90% of them translate this word government. But see, it means more than government. I'm going to get there in just a moment. So I looked up the word, and it's used only twice. But then the root word is a verb, and it's, it's used in the Bible on only two occasions. But this word means to struggle like Jacob struggled with God at Peniel. And that's the only two times. It's, it's found in, in, in Genesis, and then it's found in Hosea 12 that talks about Israel or Jacob's struggle with God. But the Bible says that he struggled with God and prevailed. Now, what he means, what the scriptures mean, is that he wrestled with the angel to receive from God a blessing. He refused to let the angel go without blessing him. The very next day, he was about to face his brother that he had deceived out of his inheritance so that Jacob could get the firstborn inheritance, which was twice as much as the secondborn. And as a result, he was concerned as he's going back now to his homeland that he was going to meet up with Esau and Esau would take his life. And actually, Esau was on his way. And he was going to face him the next day. And so he knew he needed God's protection. He needed God's blessing. And he refused to let the angel go until he blessed him. And so he struggled with this angel. And in essence, he struggled with God. And that's what the word Israel means, by the way, struggle. He struggled with God and overcame. That's not like he defeated God, but he struggled to the point where the angel finally blessed him, gave him a limp, touched him in the hip and gave him a limp, but he, I think he walked with that limp proudly because he struggled. He wanted more than anything in this world for the favor of God upon his life. This ver Hebrew verb means to struggle, to prevail. So here's my question. This is... The, Back up. This is why some versions translate this word. Instead of government, they translate it dominion. If you look up in the Strong's Concordance, you'll find it translated empire. Though the King James uses the word government and nearly every other version as well. But see, we live in the United States of America. That's a government. But it's not a dominion. It's not like a kingdom and it is not an empire because with an empire or a place that has dominion, there is this sense of being conquered, that the people have been conquered. So here's my question. Why would Isaiah, and there's only two places in the entire Old Testament that uses this word, why does it use a word that connotes struggle and overcoming? When you think of the Christmas story, do you think of conquest? Do you think of a war or a battle? Do you think of overcoming and destroying? And yet, that is the very point of this verse. Because this son is going to be born and he's going to rise up as conqueror. He is going to have authority and dominion over his, all of his region that he has conquered. Why would he, why would, why this word? See, that doesn't say peace to most people. I want us to now read the first five verses. Actually, we're going to read the last verse of chapter 8, and then the first ver five verses 
of chapter 9. And I want to ask this question. How, what does Christmas have to do with a battle and conquering in that battle? Because that's why this son was born. So turn with me to the very end of chapter 8. I'm just going to tell you that chapter 8 speaks about how Israel has gone astray. They don't turn to the prophets. They don't turn to God. They turn to their idols and they turn to spiritists. They, 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 they are okay with the cultural compromise that these occults offer. They're looking for words of wisdom. What's going to happen in the future? And instead of turning to God, they turn to those who practice sorcery. They turn to those who, pra- who t- they turn to mediums and spiritists. And so Isaiah says, to the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. So he's now in this verse I'm going to start with, he's going to start talking about darkness. So these people, they were, they were pursuing what they thought was truth, but was completely lies, shrouded in what appeared to be truth, so they pursued it, but they ended up in darkness. So you're there with me. Chapter 8, verse 22. Then they will look toward the earth and only see distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness because they've actually been pursuing demons. Chapter 9, verse 1. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. This is actually quoted in Matthew 4, prophetically speaking of Jesus' Galilean ministry. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. They have enlarged, you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the days of Midian's defeat, whoa, whoa, Isaiah, where are you going with this? For as in the days of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning and for fuel for the fire. Everything reminiscent of this oppression, this battle, under an oppressor, will be burned up. Then he says, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the dominion, the government, will be upon his shoulders. You see, Zebulun and Naphtali, according to chapter 9, verse 1, they were the ones... or. 
as Assyria came from the north and attacked, they were two main tribes that were heavily oppressed when Assyria dominated and actually destroyed the northern kingdom. In 722 BC, the northern kingdom was actually taken captive. There was an exchange of those living in the northern kingdom with those that were living in the north. They switched them around, and that way the Assyrians believed that they could better oversee the ones they were oppressing. Because that's exactly what they had done. See, Zebulun and Naphtali had been oppressed. And this had just happened. And Isaiah's ministry is just underway. And so this is so vivid and etched in their memories. The oppression of the very northern portion of the northern kingdom. But Zebulun and Naphtali is what comprises Galilee. So he's setting up a, 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 um, a contrast between, between the gloom and the darkness and the oppression of that time period with the time period of Jesus ministering in Galilee as the son that is to be born to to them for all people. His rulership. There was going to be oppression. They would be humbled. They would be in gloom, in darkness, utter darkness. And this darkness oppressed them. See, it's not just the Assyrian oppression. See, he's using that simply as a metaphor for how these people, instead of seeking after God, they're seeking mediums and spiritists. They're seeking demonic guidance. You're lost in your darkness. Church, whenever we go to any other source of truth but God, we are doing the exact, exact Same thing, the exact same thing. We are looking for what we hope is truth in some other place than the source of all truth, God himself. This oppressed them. And so he he says these those who, who are living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. See, they're living in the land of the shadow. You know what the shadow of death? Do we walk through the valley of the shadow of death that we fear no evil, Psalm 23? The shadow of death is not death, but it is something that feels like death. It, It resembles death. How many of you have ever, not that you have died, but you have gone through experiences and it felt like death? Like your world crushed and it crumbled under you, under you, all around you. It oppressed you. This is the nature of oppression. It keeps you in darkness. It clouds your thinking. It feels like death. Can I ask you, do you you feel oppressed today? How about by a lack of finances? That can feel oppressive. Do you feel oppressed by an overbearing boss? That you have the privilege of working for every day, and no matter how hard you work, it's never good enough. And he's constantly pointing out what you do wrong and rarely, if ever, pointing out what you do right. Do you feel oppressed by loneliness? How about the rejection of others? 
Do you feel oppressed by deadline pressures? How about a sense of failure? Do you like to have that cloud of failure walking with you? It's horrible. It feels oppressive. How about sickness or the attacks of others or by the injustice of a tyrannical government? These things oppress us. How about by sin issues, addictions, sin habits, or lack of character? These things can feel so oppressive. But we all wrestle to some degree with oppression. It can be physical oppression. It can be marital oppression. It it can be uh, mental or psychological oppression. It can be emotional oppression. It can be spiritual oppression. I'm going to suggest to you that this battle that's being described here is spiritual in nature. And if we deal with and this, this spiritual battle, this spiritual oppression will rob you of your joy. So if you feel like you're being oppressed, if you feel as if your joy is being stolen, can I encourage you, don't treat the symptoms. Don't deal with the symptoms. Deal with the heart of the issue. That's what this passage tries to do. The light, a light, has dawned in the darkness, in the oppression. It has increased our joy. Do you see that there? Right there in verse 3? And increased our joy. It says, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them. See, physically, that was the oppression of Assyria, but spiritually, it was the darkness that they had submitted to, looking to what they thought, where they thought would, they would find truth, but it was only darkness. It was spiritual oppression. It was demonic. And, and, and I want to just kind of take the mask off right now. Everything that the world offers... All of everything that culture says, here is truth. If it doesn't line up with this truth here, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to mince my words. It is demonic. It is a lie. And I'm just going to suggest, if we're looking for truth outside of the word of God, you will be deceived. Everything that we believe, it has to start here. It's rooted in this. This is truth. But the people of Israel were caught up in the cultural context. Oh, they thought they had relied on God and he wasn't leading them. It's because they had put to death their prophets. Hello? They weren't listening to the word of God. And so God could not lead them. They were a stubborn, Old Testament scripture phrase, stiff-necked people. And so consequently, God couldn't lead them. So where did they turn? They turned to the lies of their culture. You should see this medium. You should see this spiritist. You should look to the Ouija board. You should have a seance. Christians participate in these kinds of things like all the time. And scripture says, no, do not do this. Don't be, don't let your curiosity be tantalized by this. It will lead you astray. It will oppress you. If you look for truth and for joy anywhere outside of God and him is the source of all truth, you will discover only darkness. 
You have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors. What oppresses? Whatever oppresses you, it rules you. It controls you. It determines your joy, and it begins to define your joy. We, we get acclimated to our culture's understanding of success and what it means to be important or popular. We start striving after things and doing things so that people will like us to be popular. I remember as a, as a boy, I was in second grade, and when I was in second grade, we took the bus. Our school was a mile away. The bus picked us up, took us home. On that bus was a sixth grader. He was a big dude. Jerry Stackhouse. I still remember the name. Jerry Stackhouse. He was a big guy. He was like a stacked house. Yes, he was. And he would make my next-door neighbor, who was my same age, and we were like best buds, sit in front of him, going to school and coming home. And he would control us. I want you guys to look straight ahead. I want you guys to look down. I want you to do, I want you, and he would purposely try to control us. And if we didn't, he would hit us. He would somehow try to hurt us so that we would comply. He was my childhood bully. A day came, however, and, and, and he had a, uh, what do you call that, sidekick? Um, he, 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 uh, yeah, a toad. What did you, what, what did you use? A what? Okay, froggy or a toad. And this, this other guy was not quite as tall, much thinner, and my two brothers found out about it, and they went on the bus. And Jerry Stackhouse apparently was sick that day. And my two brothers pulled the other guy off the bus and said, you know what, you're going to get off at our stop. And I won't tell you what they did to him. But it eventually came to a head. Parents got involved, whole nine yards. But it was, church, it was oppressive. I, I hated going to school. Mom, can you drive me? Mom, I think I'm going to walk. And, you know, it, it wasn't through 10 feet of snow or anything. But the truth was I, I, didn't, I didn't like going to school because this bully oppressed. That's the nature of your oppressor. Do you know who your oppressor really is? It's not your boss. It's not the lack of finances. It's not your spouse that you're not getting along too well with. These are not your oppressors. Your oppressor is sin and Satan. They are the oppressors. They might be operating through someone or through things, but see, your lack of finances cannot oppress you. It can't unless you allow it. People cannot oppress you spiritually. They may be able to physically, but spiritually, they cannot oppress you unless you allow them to. And so here is Jesus. He is this child that's going to be born, and he is going to conquer the oppressor. He is going to extend his government, his dominance, 
wherever that oppressor is. And guess what, church? That oppressor lives right here called sin. And Satan operates with that sin in conjunction with that sin and sin and Satan oppress us and God wants to set us free because your oppression, your bully will rule over you. This is the nature of what it's like to live outside of the government or the dominion or the empire of Christ. It is to be lost in the darkness it doesn't always feel this way. It doesn't feel all the time like we're being oppressed. But when you put your head down at night and you begin to weigh your success, it becomes a little meaningless. Okay, after I succeed, I don't care if you're a millionaire or a billionaire. Once you, receive, once you get all of that money, now what? How special does that make you feel? How does that in any way define you? And yet... People define themselves by their possessions all the time, by their popularity, their fame, by their power. This defines them. But I'm going to tell you what, it also oppresses them. Now, we may not have experienced that type of wealth or that type of power, but we have relied on people to like us to love us, to accept us. We have looked to people to affirm us. And I'm not suggesting that they shouldn't. They should. But if they don't, how does that make you feel? Rejected, lonely, and this begins to oppress us. And it can rob us of our joy. It can rob us of our great joy. And so that is why Jesus had to be born. He had to come. He is the one who sets us free. He is the one who breaks that yoke that's upon your shoulder, that sense of oppression. He breaks it. Jesus came to do two things. He came, <coughs> excuse me, he came to forgive you of all of your, with regard to sin, he came to do two things. Forgive you of all of your sin, but he also came to dominate your sin. To break that yoke that is upon you. That yoke is around your neck. It yokes you with something else. And that something else is being a bully to you. And it is controlling and leading and ruling you, should you let it. Jesus came to forgive us of our sins, but see, he did more than this. He came to save us or deliver us from out of our sin. It doesn't have to dominate your life. It doesn't have to oppress you. Jesus came to set you free from that. You see, when you think of Christmas now, understand that these greeting cards and, and quoting Isaiah 9, 6, have it right. For in that town of Bethlehem, a son was born for you, for all men. He is a savior. He's a deliverer. He's the one who breaks the oppression. He is the one who destroys and defeats the bully so that you no longer are controlled by it. This battle is spiritual. It's not merely physical, relational, emotional, or mental. The kingdom behind it all 
or the kingpin behind it all is sin and Satan. Nothing more, nothing less. They do not have to dominate or bully you anymore. You can be freed from it. So here's what I want to ask. For us to walk in this great joy, instead of dealing with the symptoms, like, you know, I just need to get a promotion, then I'll be happy. I just need to earn six figures, then I'll be happy. Then I'll have joy. I just need to have a good marriage, then I'll have joy. I just need to have obedient children, then I'll have joy. I just need to kind of get my life right, so I'm going to pull the number one best-selling self-help book off the shelf. I'm going to buy it. And here's my answer. This will give me joy. Can I just tell you, if it doesn't line up with this book right here, with the Word of God, you will continue to be oppressed. You will only continue to walk in more and more darkness. Now, I'm not saying that all the self-help books are bad and trash. Some of them, surprisingly, offer biblical truths in them, whether they recognize it or not. But it is only this truth that will set you free. So how can we do this? How can we walk in this freedom? How can we let this Savior, this Jesus, which means Savior, conquer the oppressor in our lives? The first thing that, I would, <clears throat> that we need to recognize is that we need to submit to Jesus. Not just at the cross, not just at the moment of salvation, church, every single day. Because if we're not submitting to him, we must be in opposition to him. So he's either the king or you have found another king. If he's not your master, you must be serving a different master. Because you cannot serve two masters. So who are you serving today? When I was 14 years of age, I made a decision. I'm going to follow Jesus. I have discovered that that was a moment decision that I have now desperately asked God every day to help me do that, to make him Lord and master every single day, every decision. You're the master I'm going to yield to what you have to say and not to what I want. Because if I don't, I'm going to, the flesh is going to sink its hook in my jaw and my flesh will lead me. It will be my oppressor. Jesus came to break that. And so this Christmas season, I'm going to suggest, do you want great joy? Don't deal with the symptoms. Find it in this good news. Jesus as Savior as Lord, as the Messiah, the anointed one that breaks bondages. That's what Isaiah 61 is all about. He's the bondage breaker, the Messiah, the anointed one. Don't let these things dominate or destroy you. Jesus is our deliverer. We look to him. I look to him at age 14. And church, I look to him every day. And if I ever get my eyes off Jesus, I need need God to wake me up and say, Mike, What are you focusing on in your life? What are you running after? It's got to be Jesus, nothing else. Number two, I'm going to encourage you, stand up to your oppressor. Stand up to your bully. Get in his face. When, When I feel like the devil is trying to sink a hook in my jaw 
And I, it's like, whoa, hello, what's, what's going on? You know, I drive a Rustmobile. It's a, otherwise known as a Flintstone mobile. How many of you know what a Flintstone mobile is, right? I, my, my neighbor that I was like best of friends with, he literally had a, 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 a Rustmobile. He literally had a Flintstone mobile because there was a big hole in the floor of the passenger side. <laughs> And I sat on that passenger side many times. You have to straddle it, you know. And just, I never put my feet down and never did that. But yet, yeah, that's up north where the salt from the, you know, the storms, the snowstorms and such. Yeah. <clears throat> and so my, my Flintstone mobile, you know, I'm driving it around. And I look forward to the day in which I don't have to drive that thing anymore. If I'm not careful... I will wonder, what do people think about me driving this Rustmobile? What do people think about me with this Rustmobile parked in front of my house? You know, and so I've just come to this conclusion, I don't care. I don't care. I really don't. <coughs> Excuse me. But if we're not careful, if I'm not careful, I'll think about that day. One day I'm going to get a nice car. It's not going to have rust on it. Oh, I'm not going to find my identity in it, but oh, I'm, I'm going to look forward to that day in which I don't have to drive this vehicle. And I'll just start daydreaming about this nice kind of car that I'm going to drive. And, and the Lord just has to snap me out of it. It's like, man, that, that is not what your life consists of, Mike. It doesn't consist in the abundance of your possessions. You know, one day I'm not going to drive that Rustmobile. I'm not, I'm just saying that by faith. I am not going to be driving. But the truth is, I don't need to be daydreaming about all these different kinds of cars that I could drive. There's one sitting on the showroom floor. <laughs> I'm not going to get into that. I walk by it every week. Man, that is a nice sporty car. No. It really is. It's got a V. I'm just kidding. But stand up to your oppressor. Stand up to sin and Satan. Satan wants to take you down. As a believer, he wants to distract you. Don't let him do that. When you see that happening, when you see your thoughts starting to stray and, and want and greed start surfacing, no, I am not going to do this, devil. I am going to be content with what God has given me. Do that, church. Hide yourself in that truth. Rebuke the devil. See, it says submit to God. That's number one. Rebuke the devil. That's step number two. And he will flee from you. That's his promise. But stand your ground. Again, I love that little scene in Lord of the Rings where Gandalf is, is they're all being pursued by the Balrog, right? And he's a demon, a huge demon of, of, of fire and just evil. And, the, and he is trying to cross this bridge and Gandalf slams his staff down and he says, you shall not pass. That's what you need to tell the devil. You shall not pass. You shall not come any further. Get in his face. Be respectful, but get in his face. He's the oppressor. He's evil to the core. He doesn't, he's not being your best buddy. He's not making promises to you he's going to keep. If you pursue the things of the world, you will reap the whirlwind. You won't reap what you think you'll find. You'll find yourself deceived. Number three, fill yourself with the truth. Don't fill yourself with the lies. Be careful what you read. 
reject the lies of the oppressor. Oh, but see, to be happy, you really need this. You really need it. See that car? That's the one. You're going to find such happiness there. No, you will not. You will not. And if you find happiness, which is different than joy, but if you find happiness, it will last for a brief moment, and then you'll turn around and want to sell it. Because you realize it doesn't. If you, if you look at Hollywood and all of what they talk about, and when they're really candid in interviews, and they start opening up, the money, the money doesn't fix anything in their life. If anything, it's destroyed them because they don't know how to handle it. They've, it's made them selfish and inward focused. Their fame, it's all about them now. Their wives don't like, or their spouses don't want to be with them anymore. The things that the devil promises oppress them. No one wants to be their close friend unless they can get something from them because they're just not happy people. They're not joyful people because they're treating the symptoms and they refuse to allow the child born unto us in the city of David to be their conqueror and set them free from their oppression. So fill yourself with the truth. Listen to the truth. Lies, blind truth gives us clear vision. Cling to the truth like it's your very breath. What's op- what is your oppression costing you? Is it sex to be liked or loved? Is that what you're bartering? Giving in for a moment of happiness? Is it principle for popularity or promotion? Is it compromise for camaraderie? We all want friends, don't we? Is it sin seduction for your soul? This is a chasing after the wind. That's what Ecclesiastes is all about. You're going to go out there into the world and you're going to look for it. You won't find it. It's vanity. It's useless. Because it is only putting a band-aid on the problem. Jesus came to fix it, to heal it. And then lastly, fill your life constantly with thanksgiving and praise. I just want to conclude with this. I want to read this psalm, this just last part of this psalm. He's wondering, God, where are you? How long will you hide your face from me? My enemy will say, I've overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. Fall meaning when the problems just seem to overwhelm me. But, he says, this is his conclusion, but I trust in your unfailing love. That's truth. My heart rejoices in your salvation. That's my focus. Deliverance from the oppressor. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. Church, has God been good to you? This Christmas season, as you're gathering for Christmas celebrations, and I'm all for that when I was reading that in the beginning, that's just not the focus and the source of my joy on Christmas. But I tell you what, I love family. I love having my friends around. I love giving and receiving gifts. And by the way, there is a special gift won't get into that. The truth is that these things can be a part of our Christmas. But if we fail 
to recognize all of the good that God has done for us, you will continue to live under this weight upon your shoulders, this feeling of darkness, this feeling of gloom, this feeling of oppression. The answer is to look to him. He's the giver of all good gifts. The world doesn't give you any good gifts, church. That's James's point. No, no, where, no matter where you look, Ecclesiastes, read all 12 chapters, the word, these, all of these things succeeding in business, that's wonderful, but it cannot deliver. It cannot truly give you great joy. Only God can. Only God can. And so consequently, all good gifts, if they come from him, I am going to praise him. I'm going to give glory to God. I'm going to thank him every day. When I feel this oppression, when I feel like the enemy's attacking, I begin to praise God. I begin to thank him for all that he has done. God, thank you for my rustmobile. I thank him for it, church. I pray, God, please help me to get to work today. And then it would be nice if you could get me back. And I'm praying, God, that you allow this van to last because I don't want to pour money into a van. Not right now. God, may this van last me. I truly pray this. May this van last me until my very last day of work in which I don't have to rely on it anymore. But between now and then, may it work. Can I just tell you, thank you, Lord. I have never, ever had a major repair on that. The the biggest repair I've ever had on this 1992 Chevy Rustmobile, Astro van, I'm sorry, was... They had to do something with the brakes. They had to replace the master cylinder. That's it. Now, almost all the doors are broken. <laughs> the AC does not work. The fan doesn't work. It leaks. Every time it rains, there's water in my van right now. I can promise you that. There's water in my van. And it would take, cost a couple hundred dollars for me to seal it up and seal it up properly. And, it, it would, it, and so I've just decided, you know what? The headlights work in case I drive at night. It starts up. Granted, it takes about five minutes to warm up without it wanting to conk out, but it gets me there. And so, Lord, thank you. Lord, right now, thank you for my rustmobile in front of this whole church. Thank you for that rustmobile. Thank you that it gets me to work and back, and it allows me to do good work at this dealership, and you prosper and bless it. Thank you. And church, I'm just going to tell you, whenever you're facing this opposition that seems to be against you, Begin to praise God. Get back to the truth and praise him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. And when you do this, it is going to begin to release this joy that, you, that is indescribable. When you begin to focus on all of the good that God has done for you rather than the whisperings and lies of the enemy, God doesn't love you. Look at this in your life. Look, and You really think that's a God that loves you? Really? And your response to him is, yes, he is a loving God. Devil, get off my case. I rebuke you in Jesus' name. And just start pursuing God, thanking him, praising him, relying upon him. His word is true. Start believing it. And God is going to fill you up with such great joy. Why? Because this battle is a spiritual battle and nothing less. And Jesus came to defeat that oppressor and give you great joy. He's your savior, church. He's the one who came. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. Why? To forgive you of your sins and to break that bondage of sin, to break the yoke off of your back. That's why the son came. That's why 
the dominion is upon his shoulders. Your life is in his hands. Let him deliver you. Can you stand with me, church? If you're facing something today, if you if you're feel like you're being robbed of joy, tonight, look to him. Get things right. Just let him fill you up with that sense of contentment. Tonight, right now, look to him.